Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man who makes the best robot-legged minotaur. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, you gotta you gotta make a robot-legged minotaur. Just <laughs> like, sometimes, sometimes when you you've been trapped in the house around, for a you know? month, you gotta you gotta build one. I mean. Robot-legged Minotaur is not going to build itself, that's Certainly for sure. Certainly not, no. Right? So, you got to do it. It's you or no one. I'd say, you know, you be the, be the robot-legged Minotaur you want to see in the world, I say. Pat, before we get into the film this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us, keep us going, uh, you can do so over there. Just dollar a month helps out. And for that dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. Every month we do a non-Criterion film, and you get to vote on uh, on what we're going to watch. Put together a list, or even have one of our Patreon supporters put together a list. And... Um, Option five on all of those lists is always Kazam. The best option. So if you want to make us watch Kazam, just make us watch Kazam. We watched Kazam once because of it. It was all Yeah, we'll do it again. I promise. I will definitely watch it again. (laughs) Pat, you're saying that like you may not watch it again. (laughs) I know, because there's a funny thing that happens in this world when you you tell somebody you will definitely do a thing that you will actually (laughs) definitely do. You always sound like you're lying. So I will definitely watch Kazam again. Every time you make me do it. I just, I can hear the wink in your voice, and I'm not. <laughs> the best part is, is, like, I will actually probably do it, and there's a decent chance I'll make my children watch it with me again. I know you'll watch it. I know I know you actually will, but I can hear I know, I will, the wink. I will watch it. What I mean is there's a decent chance I will force my children to endure it as well. Yeah, they've watched but it. But they will probably they? enjoy it because Didn't they are children. did they watch children. it last time? Yes. But they yeah. will enjoy it because they are children. And yes. Kazam is fine for an adult and totally inoffensive to a child yeah. like it's actually quite quite fine for a child right absolutely <laughs> but yeah that's the dollar a month you get to you get to make us watch kazam if you want yeah uh, for a little extra five dollars a month we'd like to thank those people on air thank you to christopher Otto, who is currently our only five dollar a month supporter and we're grateful to have you uh a little above that, $10 a month, we do something that's really great. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I got that printed up on a postcard, and uh, write a little thank you note, personalized note, and send that off. Uh, yeah. We also like to thank the people at that level uh, for uh, for their support on air here. So thank you to Adam Speckerman uh, and Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath, who are all supporting us at $10 yes, for thank above you very much. right now. And yeah, we're very grateful. Yeah, we are. Yeah. It 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 is, it 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 is it is both shocking to me and very makes me very happy that yeah. anybody is willing to pay any amount of money to listen to us. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that is Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to help us out there, this week we are talking about uh, something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is, and I'm going to use the word very loosely: a film. It is actually three films, three short films. One more documentary, 
uh, and two uh, that are something else in that they are filmed versions of stage dance performances. Um, okay, so what ballets? Okay, let's 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 just dissect this a little bit further because it gets worse than that. Like it's not worse and not in a bad way. I'm just like worse in the complication yeah. sense. There's one that is, you said documentary. I would describe it more as a dancing 101 video. Yeah, yeah, and a good one at that. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It just feels like a thing you would show to a class at the on the first day, on of the first class, day too. of class yeah. of dance 101. Because Modern it's not it's not just a lesson of basics. It's a this is the point of what we're doing. Right. It's the point right. of what we're doing, and it's an overview of where your future could go if you decide to do this thing. Right. Like, right. okay, you're getting into this, but, like, understand both the difficulties that are going to occur and also the potentials that exist within it if you stick right. with it. Right. It and is we'll a talk very about that fascinating in... video. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that in more detail, obviously, in just a minute. But go on. The other two The other more two are, modern, are just filmed modern. I say just in, in not to mean to be dismissive, but they are yeah. different than what we usually do. They are filmed modern dance performances yes but there is also an actual documentary on the film on the dvd yeah. that i that you that you sent to me and i watched which is an actual documentary about martha graham yes so the reason i said i brought up that point was just because i didn't want to confuse the fact that there are actually right. two, one one is a sort of intro to dance and one is a actual physical documentary yeah so, so the three the three films, uh, which are on the Criterion Channel, and the the principal thing here, uh, are all produced by Nathan Kroll, um, directed by others, but produced by Nathan Kroll. Uh, then his name's what gets attached to the Criterion DVD release, the Criterion release, right? Uh, but among the other vast vast special features on this yes. that are very hard to come by outside of the DVD. Yes, we did not get to watch most of them. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot get the DVD right now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, things are <laughs> things are nuts. Uh, but among them are what what I sent to Pat and, and what he watched and I did not. Uh, Martha Graham, The Dancer Revealed from 1994. You didn't watch the thing you mailed to me? It. I didn't watch it. I, I found it. I linked you to it, and then I forgot to watch it. I will uh, tell which, you this. It is a yeah. fascinating watch. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Not always in the most positive way, <laughs> but it is a fascinating watch. From what I have read biographically about Martha Graham this week, I can understand that. Um, that was produced for PBS's American Masters. Uh, all of these, uh, the the three previous things, were produced for public television. And actually, uh, WQED, I think, produced all of them out of Pittsburgh. Oh, interesting. Uh, WQED being the minds behind uh, uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, Rick Seaback's ridiculous documentaries, uh, like A Sandwich That You Will Eat. Um, I love Rich, <laughs> Rick Seaback's. It's so great. Um uh, but yeah, QED produces a lot of really great work. Um, then, uh, yeah, Martha Graham, The Dancer Reveal, the PBS Masters series. Uh, there is a uh, comparison between from dance critic and historian Deborah Jowett on the film version of Appalachian Spring compared to more uh, archival footage of uh, of Graham dancing 
the same the the piece as well because right. uh, Appalachian Spring was was first produced in forty four and is uh, and this film version is in fifty eight. Uh, then we get uh, there's something that's Aaron Copeland talking about Appalachian Spring. Uh, there's a visual essay on working with Graham narrated by Nathan Kroll. There's interviews with Museum of Television and Radio curator Ron Simon uh, discussing Kroll's work, uh, interviews with the film's editors, uh, interviews with six of the dancers, <laughs> excerpts from a 1975 film technique demonstration by Graham's company, narrated by Graham, footage of Graham's company from a 1954 European tour. Jeez. And yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. It's... I mean, like, I looked briefly at the at the the sort of yeah. criterion. I don't usually look at the criterion page for this at all for this podcast because yeah. it's just not really uh, any need for me to do that. I did on this one. Our purpose is to like, watch. The I movies. don't know what's happening That's, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Our purpose is to watch the movies. Uh, here it is one of the first times we encountered a situation where what constitutes watching the movies becomes a discussion Pat and I actually have to have. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, the, yeah, this has not really ever happened before. Like, I mean, there's been a few times where it's been iffy about some like extra features that were like, well, yeah. this is probably very important, but do we need to watch it? Kind of thing. this one, it's like, well, what? And I think the, the net result was actually the three basic. Yeah. Right. Right. Things the three, like the, the, the three two... Kroll produced pieces right. is, is what, what we settled on. But you know, this is this is a conversation we've had in other forms, even last week. You know, the, and and with Pandora's Box two, Paps, GW Paps two two releases that we've seen so far, both contained a German version as the primary and a French version that was shot at the same time. Right. And it's uh, like, do you need to watch both of those? Well, no, well, maybe, but like, <laughs> right? You're gonna. Right. That's yeah. Like yeah. that's a hard discussion. That was that is a hard right. discussion also. But this, this is pod. Head right. and is more complicated. Yeah. This podcast is never meant to be a review of the Criterion release. It's never meant to be a review of what comes on the DVD. Occasionally, we interact with that stuff uh, when it piques our interest. Yeah, when but, it's, it, but it's always sort of a thing because we're like, oh, that thing is very interesting or something right, like that. Right. This, this is meant to be us reacting to the films, right? So... It became a little more complicated this week in trying to determine what that is. Uh, but to get down to brass tacks, uh, talking about each of these three works sort of individually, I think we should probably start with The Dancer's World, which was the first one released, 1954. Well, and also is the one that's easiest to engage with, right? Because right, it, it right. is a thing that you could, like, talk about. Like, when I said last week, you know... A thing you and I talked about, I don't actually know if we talked about it last week, but a thing I've been thinking about a lot is just how much this is not a thing I feel confident to engage with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't feel confident talking about or critiquing modern dance. Like, I have my opinions about it, but my opinions are patently probably wrong. Like, you know, I have my own personal preferences and thoughts on it, but like, for real, I don't know shit about shit. Like, at least I understand what the first thing was and how one could talk about it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, in the early 50s, Nathan Kroll, who was a violinist turned 
uh, turned producer and director to a certain extent, approached Martha Graham. Martha Graham did not want to be filmed. She never wanted to be filmed. She did not think dancing translated to film well, uh, particularly her style of dancing, um, which is something something very different to dancing on film through through most of American film history, right? Right. Uh, on top of that, uh, Martha Graham was born in 1894. She is 60 years old at this point. She is still actively dancing, but if she has any concerns about how she appears, uh, it is a very different thing to be on a stage and at least 30 feet away from your closest right. audience member to being on a film where even if it's shown on TV, you're still in extreme close-up, right? Right. And that's actually when they first started to film this, she freaked out. She locked herself in her dressing room. She had, and When she was on, on screen, she had no idea what to do with her hands or her feet. Uh, and she freaked out. And she was unresponsive in her dressing room. Uh, one of the producers, one of her, one of her dance producers, was on the floor talking through the crack under the door, trying to coax her out, and she wow. she wouldn't. So the film crew left, and then they came back, and Kroll says, "Listen, I understand. It's okay. We're gonna we're gonna do some different things, and that's where the format of this was introduced, where Graham is in her dressing room." ostensibly preparing for her role in uh, uh, Night Journey. She's getting dressed for Night Journey, doing her makeup, which inherently gives her something to do with her hands. Right. She is not dancing on screen. She doesn't need to worry about what she's doing with her feet. She's just fixing her hair, fixing her makeup, and talking about the nature of getting into character, of being a dancer, as we are intercut with her talking about the troupe and an introduction of the troupe and the troupe dancing and portraying the fundamentals of dance that she's talking about. Right. And she was much more comfortable with that. And then once they got a final product, uh, Kroll was able to come back and she was a little more enthusiastic about the possibility of filming an actual dance. Right. Yeah. Which is what happened with Appalachian, uh, Appalachian Spring and Night Journey, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple minutes. But yeah, A Dancer World, it's, like you said, it's very introductory. But it's purposefully introductory, too, and yeah, it needs absolutely. to be introductory. Yeah. No, it, it, and, and it does, a, it, is, it is well done. I mean, yeah. it reminds me very much of the things I have watched in my life. Right. In the sense that there, it's, there's nothing shocking or surprising about its format. You are, I mean, other than the fact that, like, it does have an extra long demonstrative portion over, like, what you would think of as a normal sort of, like, intro to X, Y, or Z uh, video. In that, like, the dance troupe, like, really gets into dancing, like, without sort of, you know what I mean? Like, it, it does diverge from that model eventually and gets more into just, like, some actual straight up dancing yeah uh which is fine i mean it's it's good it, it's you know what you would expect right from a thing about dancing uh but yeah no it, it it's 
I found I really liked it actually. Like I mean, like yeah. I don't. It's not a thing I'm gonna try. You know, it's like I would never be. I would never in my life be intro, be exposed to an intro to dance lecture. Yeah. In any other environment than this, so it is fascinating that Criterion decided to make me watch an intro to dance. Right. Right. Yeah. This is. This is interesting in it being a portrait of an artist. This is not something Criterion has presented to us before, really. Even even in things that are explicitly meant to be portraits of the artists. Uh, and I think of the Paul Robeson uh, box set to right. that extent. Uh, it's not... It's not, yeah, yeah, no. It's not yeah. the same thing as this. These are educational films. And a whole bunch of supplemental material, much of it made for PBS as well. <laughs> Right. right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's they just have different target audiences. They have different everything, right? Because like all everything we have ever watched for Criterion is trying to show us a collection of the artist's works. Right. This is that in the sense that it has those those dance features that are just you know, you know, Appalachian Spring is just a is a demonstration of the artist's work. Right. But because of sort of the way this art and art artists operated, like we can't go back to, we don't have a lot to go back to like circa early days of the artist performances kind of thing. Right. Because right. like those were not necessarily recorded at all. Right. Um, yeah. It just puts us in an interesting position because I mean, I, again, all, but also it's like, not to get too meta, like, I don't know how you talk about those things. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I probably have more to say about Appalachian Spring than I than I do about Night Journey, uh, uh, in that I have sort of more interesting, to me, background material to Appalachian Spring. Okay. Um, I mean, I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, I think they're both interesting um, for different reasons for me. Uh, I, I do have a tiny bit to say about each of them, but... <laughs> Certainly, I have I have things to say about both. Well, I say I, think, I mean like tiny bit to yeah. say is in like you know you I, only have a tiny bit to say. Yes. Yeah, I mean again, I I I feel way over my head here. Yeah, yeah. So Graham, uh, Graham is the uh, she was born in in Pennsylvania, uh, the daughter of a uh, psychiatrist, an alienist, in fact. Uh, as uh, as they were called at the time, um, and uh, yeah, we should have they stuck moved to with Santa... that name. Honestly, let's be clear; they, we really should have. Uh, they moved to Santa Barbara when she was uh, very young, um, in the early nineteen uh, aughts. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, nineteen oh eight, I think, is when they moved. Uh, yeah, no, I, and I, she uh, she encountered her first public performance of dance in 1911, and decided to become a dancer. Uh, studied in the uh, Denishon School of Dancing and Related Arts, founded by Ruth St. Dennis and Ted Sean. Uh, who, oddly enough, according to the documentary, immediately told her that she was too old and too short. <laughs> she was 21 when the school was founded. Let alone when 20, she was finally a member. When she entered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she only stayed until 1923 when she was 28. Oh, sorry. Uh, Maybe I got those numbers mixed up. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. 
Well, when she started, she started in the mid 1910s. Um, according to Wikipedia right now, uh, Dennis John was founded in, uh, 1915. So it certainly wasn't, uh, she certainly didn't start before then. <laughs> um, right. Even if she were inaugural class, she's already 21. Right. Yeah. I, so, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I just, you, when you brought up another word, the, the word yeah. 23 again, I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. Um, she did perform, uh, one of Ted Sean's dances in a film uh, with Lillian Powell in a short silence film uh, by uh, Hugo Reisenfeld um, that attempt to synchronize the dance routine on film with live orchestra and an on-screen conductor, which is a very ambitious pro- wow. <laughs> project. Right? That's all I can say about that is, wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, she left Dennis Sean. Uh, she wanted to change dance. She wanted to do different things right. than dance schools would teach her how to do. Um, and like a lot of work of that time that involved stripping away what she thought of as the uh, superfluous nature of dance. Um, a very sort of interesting thing, you know, her stuff, her stuff doesn't really start to catch on mainstream for, a couple decades after that, right? Right. She builds. Yeah. She builds. Um, Appalachian Spring, she choreographs originally in 1944. Uh, she approached Aaron Copeland and said, hey, I want to write. I went to a ballet. I want you to write the music. And Copeland said, sure. Um, <laughs> agreed to do it. Uh, funded by the Coolidge Foundation. Uh, the initial performance was October 30th, 1944, at the Library of Congress. Um she wrote it for her and her then boyfriend, uh, uh, soon to be husband, who was 15 years younger than her, uh, and who uh, uh, thought too highly of himself. Yeah, no the, the documentary very much has loved. a lot of. Yeah, the documentary has a Eric lot Hawkins. of really fascinating uh, discussion of that. Yeah, uh, because it it really. Especially the aftermath really yeah. did a, a number did on a her. Number on her. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and they actually have an I think I have an inter- I, I you know, I didn't I was not paying attention to the names that much as much as what was being said. I think they have an interview with him. I, yeah, yeah, I'm almost certain they have an interview with him. And it's kind of fascinating because he's trying to like it's fascinating because it's a documentary interview and so he's trying not to make himself look bad, but he essentially forced her you know not forced i say forced because you know like the way that someone you love can make you do things that you don't necessarily wouldn't choose to do yourself uh not like at gunpoint or anything like that but to do the things that he wanted to do that made right that were sort of his sort of star maker type deals and so they did a lot of greek shit that was not really her wheelhouse which is where Robot minotaurs come in. I <laughs> right. assumed you, I. I am sorry. That is part of the documentary only. Uh, but I mentioned earlier because there is a scene that is I will describe as being hilarious of <laughs> of her then husband being what I would is best described as a tin soldier minotaur marching around her in all in sort of like stage type. Uh, 
Greek costumes. Right. It is ridiculous because it you can see in it her style, but applied to something that she doesn't that like. There's the the nature of this sort of style. It always seems to me that like its potential to be silly is very high. Yeah, it can be done very well and not be silly at all. But when anything goes awry in this sort of styling, it immediately becomes silly. And this is patently silly looking. Right. Well, uh, on on the silliness of it, uh, in White Christmas, the song choreography is a parody of Martha yes. Graham. And a take I'm that very, to very well. Where, yeah, yeah, very aware of that. In that it is dancers in long flowy dresses, yep. uh, who the are wind interrupted, blowing the, yeah, interrupted by a ballerina entering the frame, legs first, being lowered from the ceiling. Yep. <laughs> and, I have and seen that movie the, quite a few times. And the yes. staging in choreography is is even a parody of the staging of Appalachian Spring. Yep. Uh, and White Christmas came out in what fifty four, so that's uh, yeah, uh, a full. <laughs> uh, no, not fifty four. Was it forty? When did White Christmas come out? No, I'm... oh God, don't ask me that question. I don't know. Uh, White Christmas came out in fifty four, uh, yeah. whereas the film version of Appalachian Spring uh, came out in fifty eight. So, you know, they're they're <laughs> parroting something that you could only see live at that point, and <laughs> right. But I mean. Um, well, see, that's the weird thing is, is like, there, if you were part of that scene, right, that right. would, it would totally be a thing you would recognize, and it, it it is, the White Christmas one is ridiculous, yeah, but uh, purposely so, but um, but what that what that implies about, I mean, certainly, certainly with uh, Graham trying to strip away the uh, ostentationness of modern dance as she saw it. Uh, and then the interaction of uh, of White Christmas doing that, it implies some sort of major like back and forth fighting between people like Bing Crosby and Martha Graham, at least ideologically, right? Uh, uh, well, I mean, may- yes and no, maybe, because... I, it's it's really hard to know because a lot of it, it seems like a lot of actors also relied on Martha Graham, like based on the documentary, relied on her to teach them the idea of how to have a stage presence. Yeah, including very very famous actors and actresses, like people who you re- like are to this day names that you go, oh yeah, famous actor or famous yeah. actors, and and I wonder if that White Christmas thing is less of a like shots fired sort of scenario and more of a like let's just have a little bit of fun with this you think it's more lighthearted i do um because i i don't know that like i feel like that would be like enemy making yeah based on like everything i've seen like from the documentary and stuff it's like she had her ups and downs in her life but like dominated this scene it seems like to such an extent that oh you just don't want to have friends anymore yeah make fun of martha graham yeah kind of thing you know what i mean it kind of well also kind way. of a kicking her when she's down because that's also the year of her divorce is when that came out that's, so, and, and yeah so, I, so that's definitely possible i mean i don't know it's just hard i to don't say. know even if it is wholly lighthearted. 
I don't know if Martha Graham would interpret it as wholly lighthearted. No, I don't know that she would, but that that's that's more comes down to a I I what I'm trying to do is to, to discuss maybe what is in the makers of White Christmas's head because Martha Graham as far as I can see from everything in the documentary takes herself super seriously. Right. To the point right. to to her detriment. Really. And like, and also, we already know Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye aren't necessarily great people. So um, that's also true. So it yeah. is possible. It is totally just like uh, we're right. going to be some assholes. That is that is a potential. It 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 exists. It's just hard to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I don't know what you would get out of it. You know what I mean? Like, is that is the flip side of that? Like, I don't know what <laughs> taking a shot at a famous a, a famous modern dancer who has a lot to do with Hollywood right. and absolutely nothing to do with your average American. Right. Right. Is a That's weird fair. shots fired thing to do anyway, though. Yeah. That is. So that is who the true. fuck knows what's going on. But, there. Yeah. So anyway, Appalachian Springs, she wrote in 44, she commissioned, uh, and she approached Copeland to write this. Um, actually, I, I, one more aside, my, I cannot think about Appalachian Spring without thinking of this happening. I don't know that I've ever mentioned it on the podcast before, but uh, I had a I had a roommate in college who would come in to the room, and if I was listening to music, uh, he would immediately start playing his own music. Uh, okay, yeah, we <laughs> and I just have, I have to definitely talked about this. Put in this headphones is... and and turn it up. <laughs> but uh, but this was a time where iTunes was in its infancy. And iTunes automatically would search a network for all music oh, yeah. shared on the that. network. Uh, so we could see the music from every person with a computer connected in our dorm room or dorm building. Uh, so he started playing the emo band Copeland and played through an entire album from Copeland. Uh, and as the final song ended... The first few notes of the overture of Appalachian Spring, the da 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 da, da started, and my <laughs> roommate, my roommate shouts, "What the fuck is this?" and slams his <laughs> keyboard down. <laughs> and I cannot, I cannot not it's think about that. Amazing <laughs> though, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Copeland wrote the music. Um, Wrote it to be performed as the ballet, uh, which is why if you go to a symphony, symphonic performance of Appalachian Spring, it is truncated uh, because a lot of a lot of the quieter moments are meant to be so you can pay attention to the dancers, um, right? And uh, and the music itself is not doing a lot, so it can well, get right? And that's part of the, a philosophy that they talked about in the in the documentary again is. The that um, I forget his name. Before she met her husband, there was another man that she worked with extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, names are already a thing that I have trouble with, and this was even more overwhelming because it was just like a personal history. Yeah. Um, but the person she had 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 part of what they had discussed and sort of as a revelation, sort of come upon together, was the idea that like in her world, the dance needs to come first. Yeah. Like it's not a response to the music, but like it's was a that, thing that drives what music they choose. Was that conversation possibly centered around, uh, 
uh, Isamu Noguchi, uh, her set designer? Uh, no, it was with the person who, uh, I, yeah, not for, because it was pre-Appalachian Spring. It, it, okay. it predates Appalachian Spring. It is when she's still coming up even earlier than that. And they're the ones who did her first performance together in like, uh, they rented out a studio or something in Carnegie Hall and, and did a performance there much earlier, like even 10 years before Appalachian Spring or even further. I can't. Like there's a this the documentary is an hour long and I'm like okay well I need to listen yeah. to this but it was a lot to take in right because it covers her entire fucking life yeah yeah she uh, she's the first dancer to perform at the White House uh, in 1936 uh, Hitler tried to put on an international arts festival along with the Olympic Games. And invited her to dance there, uh, which she refused. So good on her. Yep. Uh, 38, Eric Hawkins, who later becomes her husband, uh, is the first time he dances with the troupe and the first time a man, period, dances with the troupe. He joins in 1939, uh, at which point she starts writing things particularly for him. And and hemorrhages dancers because they do not like him. Right, nobody it's likes. Apparently, him. a thing is that. Well, I mean, you know, no one, definitely, no one likes him post facto. But like, even right. as he comes into the troop, the change in the style and everything that they were doing was so severe that, like, apparently, basically every dancer quit eventually. Yeah, over it because they were, it were they were no longer doing at all what they signed up for. They were performing things that were meant as sort of, for lack of a better term, sort of as love letters. Yeah. Rather than serious dances meant to like demonstrate the sort of techniques that you've been working on and things like that, right? Right. So Appalachian Spring does does have that technique demonstration, and it's I think a very a very compelling work in that each individual dancer is given their chance to shine in a work that represents their personal feelings. Now, of course, with any ballet, you need the sort of liner notes of uh of the program yeah, well, to tell yes, you yeah tell yeah. you exactly what's going on here uh but this is one that has that has the set piece and a costume design that makes that a little more clear right yeah the it's reverend not, it's not hard. it's not too bad it, it is it is only overwhelming in the sense that like you mostly just get general impressions rather than like a full yeah. story out of it without some sort of assistance I will say I I wish more sermons, particularly wedding sermons I've sat through, uh, were holy uh, interpretive dance. That would be <laughs> you say that the uh, you know the the members of the congregation, the the four ladies who are usually dancing in unison, and you know they're having fun with with what's happening. They're enjoying what's right. happening. They're being they're being silly in what's happening whereas uh you know the 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 groom originally written for hawkins is exuberant the uh the bride originally uh written for graham and graham still performs it for our recording here uh is uh trepidatious but but uh hopeful um and the the old woman is uh 
even in her her dancing style is a reminder that uh while uh while the minister has warned you against sin uh sexual gratification is not sinful <laughs> right you know and you get all that you do you really get all that yeah no from, yeah totally from watching it uh what, which I find... what, I, what I was alluding to is the fact that, like, nominally in something like this, there is a story. Yeah. But when I say that, like, without something more detailed to read, what you right. get are those impressions. You understand everybody's role in the story. Right. Not necessarily, in the end, walking away with a complete story. Yeah. Which is and it's... a thing. It's fine. It's a thing that happens in these kind of works. It just it is. It's helped here. In that it's a fairly simple story, too, yes. right? It's it's a wedding. People are gathered. There's a sermon. Then nightfall, and they're nervous, but, hey, they're happy to be together. So, you know, it's a simple, it's a one-day celebration story, right? Uh, night Journey, I found much more difficult to get into. Yeah, uh, I understand that. Yeah. Night Journey is... Uh, Originally produced in 1947, I believe, the year before uh, she and Hawkins actually get married for six years, um, and uh, and that falls apart pretty quick. But it is it is a story of Hawkins exploring the domination, or of of Graham exploring the domination Hawkins has had over her too, right? Right. You know, and that's that's clear. Even more clear than the story is the way the dancers interact, and that he right. is dominant against her in the dance. Uh, and Hawkins probably should have realized what was going on at that point. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, I, but... I think I don't, the impression I get is that from, again, this is just sort of like what people say in the documentary. So I don't get the impression that she's unaware of what's going on. It's more that right. she just has decided not like it's, it is, that thing that happens, right? It, it happens right. all the time. It's a sort of she loves old him. story, right? Like she knows that she's doing what he wants be- to make him happy, but that's, you know, what do you, like you're kind of in that situation where you're like, well, what are you going to do? Right? Like, yeah. what am I going to not like? Um, the interesting thing about it is, is that I would say that honestly speaking, Appalachian is uh, a spring is, is better composed but has but i would say that what i forget what the name of the next one is night what is it night uh, night journey night journey night journey is more a little bit wilder yeah um in the sense that it feels more it feels more like there's more i guess intensity um that's fair i don't I, I it was less compelling because again it was nearly unfollowable, <laughs> right? Uh, like it, as anything other than just allowing a parade of visuals to march across your eyes, which is what I decided to do with it. But yeah. from a purely visual standpoint, it was more interesting to watch because yeah. uh, Appalachian Spring is very is very stripped down and basic in terms of like w- everything really. Uh, has less camera movement and right and, and and stuff like that and i think noguchi's set design in appalachian spring sort of sets the tone sets the mood yeah for sure yeah absolutely uh, as being in, very like basic. but it's but yeah it's also very backgroundy you know 
they do they go up on the porch they sit on the rocking chair but but beyond that they don't really interact with it whereas whereas his set design here is much more interacted with the bed they're on the bed you know they're interacting with the bed the the uh, seer enters from the rock right you know they're it's still minimalistic right it's there's still not a lot going on right but but it, but is, it is still it. it is still but but like compared to Appalachian Spring, it is more it is more Appalachian Spring has a lot of a lot more I would say that Appalachian Spring in some ways is more dynamic in the sense that like there's a lot more uh like you know, you get all those like really tight foreground with one character and then things happening in the background, right. a lot of fun things going on like that in Appalachian Spring. Night Journey is more, like I said, is more cut loose. There's a lot more, feels like more movement, yeah, uh, to me. But again, I don't know shit about shit. So, but yeah, the, but it's also you know the format of the stories too. Night Journey is a woman, uh, who is contemplating suicide, looking back on her life. Right. Right. So it's 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 by its nature a more dramatic piece, a more sullen piece than right Appalachian Spring it's doing something I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to make any argument one way or the other of whether or not you need pain for art but it is right yeah we that's a, that's a thing we've already they are both certainly artistic avoid. works right yeah uh, for sure and what what year did Night Journey come out uh the original production was 47 the film version is 1960 okay okay interesting yeah, I I was in I was thinking in terms of like uh, we talked about White Christmas earlier. Night Journey has some elements that also seem to be, and I guess it's more of just a parody of her work in general. Right. But like I'm I'm thinking specifically of flowing materials and stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. That like get mocked, get get t- discussed in something like White Christmas pretty intensely. Right, White Christmas, you know, or White White Christmas is the one with like that super intensely long scarf that goes on forever, right? No, 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 no. no. You're that, thinking now. Of, I'm thinking of um. You're thinking I'm of the thinking final of, sequence in uh, uh. I am. You're right. That's yeah. I always get that. Singing in the rain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. The the night the the one in White Christmas. It's uh is a bunch of women in gray ankle length dresses and one man in sort of a blackish suit like thing. He's dressed he's dressed to evoke the parson in Appalachian. Oh, okay, Spring. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I get then, I get those com- I get confused about that because But they're they're all in sort of a tight group dancing back and forth. I actually right. I watched this again uh this week. Uh <laughs> I didn't watch any of the bonus material on the D V D but I did watch this sequence <laughs> from White Christmas. Um <laughs> And uh, uh, they're sort of swaying back and forth, and then we get a real tight in on them, and they all look up in this uh, l- like lustful surprise at the pair of legs coming down. <laughs> I re- I remember that yeah. scene, yeah, I do. Of a, it's a and she's a dancer in a pink tutu, and she is, yep, she does yep. she does more uh, more yeah, of I've, that mid century yeah. Hollywood musical style of dance certainly than than what the and you know it's purposely their drab and this is bright and super exciting right and, and sexy like, I, right it, That's it the also real calls to mind for me the end of of singing in the rain with that right right that is also in the same a, a different version of this but that that 
scarf whipped by the wind that like goes on across the entire it's like gotta be half a mile long right and all that it's all sort of this in the same wheelhouse right and uh who knows yeah 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 but yeah the the scarf dance is its own interesting thing in that it is much it's much more evocative of uh something that graham might do though i think also you know, at least in the experience we have in these three features, Graham using costuming to that extent of of the wind and the and the long. You know, I think she's much more interested in the movements of her dancers' bodies. Than I in, would say so. The reason what like calls that, to but... mind is in the documentary. There's a couple dances featured that have more of not so much scarf. The scarf is intent, but like in their physical, in her physical movements. Yeah. There, there is a very similar style of dance going on there, with like that that final singing in the rain dance is very much her style of dance. It, it right. the scarf thing, I I bring that I use the scarf thing just because it's the easiest of way course. to remember that dance. Of course, um, and it's but, and it's very very different to the sort of dancing going on in the rest of the movie. Too, right, exactly. It so. stands out like a sore th- sore thumb, and, and, and reverently so, at least in that case. Too. Yeah, right? that one is not it's, that. That yeah. is why I was having a little bit of trouble because I keep thinking about that one when you're talking about it. Yeah, I'm like I don't think that's necessarily a parody as much as it is a a homage. Sort of. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, the one in White Christmas, yes, is absolutely a fucking parody. Right, right. Is absolutely a parody. Um. Yeah, no, the reason I bring that up, though, is because I, I would actually say that the White Christmas one is even more of a parody because did did any of the things that you watched have the thing where she is moving around inside that body wrap? Oh, no, no, I haven't. Oh, that's actually really fa- – the documentary is really fascinating. In, it shows a dance that I found really fascinating. They don't go through it a lot, but there's this recording of her doing a dance where she is like – wrapped up in a purple jumpsuit that like extends like over her arms in a really fascinating way and she's like moving around in it as though it is also her skin it's okay. really it's really interesting and it's also this color purple interesting that's in white christmas so i don't know it's it's the documentary it's not that that far into the documentary but it's it's worth watching because those movements are really fascinating, and like as you step forward in time, you see those movements a lot in dance that I've seen later on. And yes, uh, like you're a referencing lot, a lot. Uh, Lamentation from 1930. Yes, uh, yes, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm seeing that now, and I am I have seen this. Yeah, before, you've seen it exactly. That's extent. what I'm saying. Yeah. You've seen it done by other people, and you've seen this right. performance probably in right. something before. It's Which is its own very. Wild fascinating piece right yeah to to do that and you know uh, to a certain extent what i get from just a cursory look at martha graham is that one of the peripheries that she felt dance had overtaken was the uh the sexualization of the body as opposed to seeing the body as its beauty and movement right right it is still I don't, you know, she's not, she's not making a commentary on sex being bad. Certainly, you know, that's that's part of the no, point of Appalachian but, Springs. But is, the idea is, that the body right. itself is actually just a kind of beautiful thing, but not just a yeah, sexual as opposed, object. right, right, a a woman's body, a woman dancer's body, only being sexual, uh, is definitely something that that sequence in White 
Christmas is <laughs> trying to trying to say she's wrong for saying right <laughs> right you know, yeah because it 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 balances women in gray ankle skirts against a woman who again enters legs first <laughs> you know right. uh and whose legs are pure <laughs> wholly visible but yeah you know that that piece lamentation where where it's movement inside such a uh such a uh, what am I trying to say? A muting of the body itself, right? Oh yeah, I mean you still that, know the I, movement, well, and you understand that a body is making that movement and the beauty of that movement. Well, in the way it, it what it does is it it contorts the like because for example, anytime she moves something that like protrudes, right? It it suddenly develops a shape in that place. She's not just playing with her body, but also with the sort of forms that the overall impression of the of it gives whenever yeah. she moves inside of it right like she's creating sort of shapes beyond what a body would have by itself that are being made by the body it's it's i think i thought it was like a deeply deeply fascinating thing to watch um and it alone made was one of the reasons why i kept going with the documentary because i was like right. oh we're gonna see some really and and the documentary has the benefit unlike these three pieces because these three pieces are well these two pieces especially are fully composed final pieces yeah. the documentary has the benefit of sort of jumping around and giving you a sort of highlight reel of right. of a cup of that's where you also see the ridiculous minotaur dance like, <laughs> right. like it gives you a real highlight highlight in the sense that like things that are worth paying attention to in her uh sort of work history uh, it was the 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 documentary is is one of those weird things that like we didn't necessarily think of as being a fundamental part of the thing, but was probably the most like in my opinion after watching it was probably the most important thing on the DVD. Right, right, because it, uh, it because gives it you, actually told you things. It contextualizes everything for yeah. you too, right? Whereas whereas my upon my initial viewing, my only contextualization was what is in. Uh, a dancer's life, um, right? Which provides, but that also is really world, was really helpful because it it gave an insight as to like, yeah, her. It's from the horse's mouth in that right. sense, right? Which is also really important, right? And her and gives gives a view into her philosophical ideas right. of of what dance should be, you know, and what freedom is. Freedom can only be achieved through discipline. In the studio, you learn to conform to the demands of your craft so that you may finally be free. And to say to say there's no competition, that you're only in competition with the individual that you could become is just on It's a, really yeah, it's Right. It's fascinating. Pretty wild. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does also help you understand, like, later on in the do in the documentary, that like, for all to, for all the impression I get, she was very very hard to work with, like yeah. not in like the the worst way where you're like, oh, this is a terrible person, but like, never compromise, ever, right. and that it. Which is gives you this interesting result where like all the people talk about her have this like deep deep sense of admiration, but also kind of sound like they might be scared of her, <laughs> even right. though she's no you know not like a person in their life anymore. Right, she's thirty years gone, and yet <laughs> and they're like, uh, 
Yeah. We're going to use euphemisms to explain that well, she also was really rough on us. That's another thing, you know, when when she is, what, 66 years old when we're recording Night Journey. And she's, you know, she'd, she'd continue to dance uh, into her 70s. But these are not pieces written for 66-year-olds, right? She's, right. These are pieces she wrote for herself when when she was you know fifty at the youngest, and uh, and this is that's a big time difference for the human body, right? Right. Um, so you know, and and of course, when the flip side of that is when when the younger dancers started performing the main parts, and this is post divorce. And she sees it as just another thing she's lost, and that drove her to some very well, self-damaging, I mean, yeah, deep, deep alcoholism. And, yeah, and it, it it is, yeah, like it seems like literally she told they had an interview with the person who replaced her. I think it was at Appalachian Spring for performances. Mm-hmm. I think it was for Appalachian Spring. I can't remember which one they said, but like she straight up eventually told him told that dancer like i can't i can't do this like and just left like couldn't handle the idea of watching somebody be her like be dressed up as her and right and be performing basically her right and the idea that she was also coming to grips with the fact that she would probably not be a dancer anymore like that that's just not a thing now i forget which famous uh i think choreographer she talked to but like the person asked her what she like what did she want to be remembered for like what is her legacy what did she want her legacy to be like a dancer or as a choreographer and he she said a dancer of course and he just said my pity you then or something to that effect <laughs> oh, i'm no. like you're like you're a fool basically oh no well because like uh. you know like he's making the argument that like if you want to be known as a dancer that that ends whereas your choreography could literally go on forever like people could be doing your dances and then she does come around to that viewpoint eventually by the time we get to the last sort of decade of her life she is just a she is working as a teacher and as a choreography helping other people do what she did which is fascinating like she overcame her alcoholism and a lot of other things to be able to eventually start passing that along to other people right her her last performance uh is in may of 1968 and by 1971 she's in rehab yeah yeah like so it's interesting because they they talk like oh you know deep deep alcoholism and it seems like it was very sudden and very deep but also she sort of bootstrapped her way out of it so right right very impressive According to her own autobiography, Blood Memory, she says, When I stopped dancing, I had lost my will to live. I stayed home alone, ate very little, and drank too much and brooded. My face was ruined, and people say I looked odd, which I agreed with. Finally, my system just gave in. I was in the hospital for a long time, much of it in a coma. She got out of the hospital. She realized (laughs) that uh, she'd done this to herself and uh, quit smoking. Returned to the studio, reorganized the company, and went on to choreograph 10 new ballets uh, and many revivals of her previous work. Um, 
her last completed ballet was in 1990 to uh, Scott Japlin's Maple Leaf Rag. Uh, and then she died in 91 in April. It's just, I mean, it's like really fucking unbelievable. Like yeah. when you think about what, like that, that, that career is like fucking wild. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yikes. I mean, I can't even, can you imagine that you can't, we can't really doing right. that much in your life over right. the course she, of your life? I mean, it helps. Like, she, she died a month short of being 97 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, I get you know, that. She had like, a long I, time I understand, to do but it. Like, but <laughs> nonetheless, I mean, yeah, but like at some point, a lot of people do a thing where they stop doing things. Right. Right. At some point, where they say, mm, maybe I shouldn't do these things anymore. And then, then, yeah. the, there's this special person who but decided yeah, to she just almost, really go for it. She almost drinks herself to death in her late 70s and then magically, you know, from a lifetime of, of, of very, uh, very, uh, uh, I suppose, healthy exercise, um, I'm sure helped. But Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. But not only does she recover, but she spends the next 20 years getting better at other aspects of her work, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just crazy impressive. It's just it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she received Japan's Imperial Order of the Precious Crown. Yep. I don't know what year, uh, but yeah, she has accolades from either. all over the world, right? But like, also got the. I think said like the first dancer to get the. Uh, was it the Medal of Freedom or whatever we call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Presidential Medal of Freedom in seventy six. Um. Um was like what the first cultural ambassador from the United States during that that program yeah which is you know a whole other thing but yeah <laughs> well they weren't gonna let Paul Robeson do it again so right uh, but yeah yeah um you know I, I don't think I don't feel like we've talked about night journey uh, enough, well, I like, suppose, but the but thing about Night Journey is, yeah, I mean, we could try to talk about it, but like, in in essence, it is somewhat formless for me, right? Like, I didn't, I like as you mentioned, you can watch Appalachian Spring and be like, yes, there's a story here, and I generally understand what's going on. <laughs> Night Journey, I had no such impression. I, I, it, there's that little like. That thing. Well, and I didn't know which order to watch them in, so I actually watched that one first. Oh no! Uh, it was oh the no! First thing I watched. <laughs> oh no! And like, it starts off with this like fucking two-page like blurb explaining like what this story is, and then you watch it and you're like, uh, if you say so, I don't know what's <laughs> happening right now. Like, you're like, wait, what? Like, okay. Fair. Um, yeah. Well, I was it's... relying on you because if memory serves at the beginning, that's the, it's in theory an excerpt from Oedipus. The, yes. The, yes. So, like, I was like, well, Adam knows shit about literature. <laughs> uh, he'll He'll carry us through this portion of the podcast. Uh, well, <laughs> the story here uh, takes place after a seer has uh, uh, so so a a seer 
I don't even know if it's meant to be the same seer within the within the uh, context of the of the whole Oedipal cycle. Uh, when young, uh, Oedipus, uh, on his birth, a prophecy was made about him that one day he would kill his father and uh, marry his mother. So his parents, the king and queen of wherever they were, uh, were all like, well, let's get rid of him and send him away. Uh, I don't know if they thought he died. Uh, I can't remember precisely. Uh, but in the in the course of life, Oedipus grows into a young man. And uh, at one point uh, in his area, a foreign king comes in and uh, is mean to him. So Oedipus kills him. And then Oedipus uh, goes to where that king was from and uh, marries the queen and uh, becomes the king of the place. And then after all that, uh, they go to another seer and the seer says, oh, by the way, that's your mom. <laughs> and you killed your dad, which is what we said was going to happen. So, so like, that's on you. Paid attention to you. <laughs> um, uh, and that's that's sort of that's where this takes place, right? So, like, is the immediately what I'm aftermath is, is of that, like, where Oedipus has gouged out his own eyes, and his mother, wife, is contemplating her own suicide, uh, and right. eventually and commits you it. get that part of it right. in it, but like it doesn't progress beyond that, right? Well, then there's a lot of sort of like flashbacks within it because it's because it's formatted as her. Uh, her contemplation of death, she's thinking about things that have happened in the past, right? So everything with Oedipus is a flashback. The seer right. sort of keeps interrupting that and banging his, you know, banging his staff on the ground to sort of imply the seriousness of this, but also the 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 keep on track and kill yourselfness of it, I guess, too. I don't know. Right. But, like, I think you can see in what you just described how that would not be obvious to people watching right, it who right. don't Absolutely. really know very well Absolutely. the story of Oedipus. Right. Um, it, it is – so in that sense, for me, it became fundamentally somewhat formless. It was just me watching some people dancing. Right. And, and like, understanding generally who the characters were – but not really understanding how they were interacting with each other and what it what it was meant to mean. Um, so, like, if we want to talk about it, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, beyond that, there's not a lot to talk about. You know, that's the 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 thing about this of watching a dance. It's like hearing a symphony. You know, it's not right. I mean, you have to have enough. Like honestly, you can you can critique, you can talk about those things, but you have to be a person who knows a lot about those things to actually do that. Right. You know, otherwise you just sound like an asshole, right? Like, and these aren't these aren't pieces where a director is bringing his own vision to a piece, right? There's a reason the director's names aren't even attached to this as far as the Criterion <laughs> release is concerned, right? It's right. You know, uh. Two of them are directed by one guy, and a third guy did the other, and I can't even remember who they are uh, <laughs> because it doesn't matter um, because because they're not even doing anything, you know. Um, right. Within a dancer's world, yeah, there are some editorial decisions, right? But for the other two pieces, it's literally just a filming of the performances, and the camera changes angles a couple times, much more in Appalachian Spring. 
Um, but generally, it is still a, a proscenium view of what's going on, as right. if you were an audience member. Uh, so that's even more true for Night Journey, I feel, where the camera, I think, moves less often. Or maybe I'm just imagining that. I don't know. I I don't know. Again, like it's hard Uh, because they sort of blended together. I felt like the camera did move, and I was kind of not a lot, but I felt certainly certainly they get tighter on the bed when they're on the bed sometimes, right? And there are scenes, there are scenes in particular I can picture where you can't really see any of the uh, staging stuff, right? Right. Uh, So yeah, the camera definitely moves. Um, but like, you know, where, where Oedipus is, uh, sort of, you know, the, I guess the, the, the sort of Freudian underpinnings of, uh, of her and, uh, her husband to be, uh, Hawkins performing this of Oedipus being a, obviously, obviously he is a younger person than the queen in the story because he right. is in fact her son. Uh but Hawkins is 15 years younger than her. Oedipus shows up in this foreign country and if I remember the myth right, it's not even clear that he knows he showed up at the place where he just killed the king from. Uh <laughs> but but in any case, Oedipus shows up, kill uh, uh, marries a a queen in mourning and takes over and you know in the same way, Hawkins shows up within this and, and and sort of takes over things, and things fall apart for for the kingdom as it stood before he showed up, right? And sure, they build right. something else together, but but in the same of this performance, where Oedipus is like on top of her, is physically dominating her, is standing on her at times, right? Right. It's. <sighs> It's just very clear that Martha Graham was working through some things that if Hawkins performed this and then they got married, maybe, maybe he realized some wrong things and said, I promise, baby, I'll do better. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it seems maybe. like maybe he also just lacked the self-awareness. The, I don't get that impression. I right. get the impression, like, for all intents and purposes, what I heard in the documentary was that he got frustrated with not being able to do enough of his own stuff, right? With her, and he then thought was like, he should oh, be I as big a star as my she own was. thing, right? Yeah, like he wasn't getting enough attention, and even even with what we see in these things as being a basically a total reformat of her endeavors, right? right. That wasn't enough. And Night Journey, Night Journey is her actively giving him a role in the Greek stuff that he wanted to do. Uh, but it's also, we're talking about a woman who, who kind of only knows how to communicate through dance or at least has invested most of her communication life into dance. Right. Uh, to the point where when she's put on film, she freaks out in just having to talk, you know, and even in what we see of a dancer's world, she's obviously nervous, right? Right. She's stumbling over words and this, these are the cuts they kept. So, you know, right. there's worse iterations of that, certainly. Um, so, so you know, she this is her in her element, and she's. I feel like a night's journey, just as a piece, 
is her trying to tell Hawkins what's wrong here. Right. And I, you know, in the long run, it certainly didn't work, but maybe in the short term it did. We don't know. I don't know enough about their personal lives to know that, obviously. But, right. But as a piece, as a piece that sort of absolutely her trying to communicate to her lover at that point, it's, that's a fascinating thing too. You know, Appalachian right. Spring in its own way and in, in the way that they, they star as, uh, the, the couple, um, there's an excitement to an earlier iteration of their relationship, but these are also the original productions are only three years apart. Right. Right. So, so between, between the excitement of Appalachian spring, uh, and the, what feels like a denouement on the relationship, really, even though it takes place before they're actually married and they're married for six years after this. But, right. but yeah, night journey seems like the final nail in a coffin that yeah, somehow that's, that, still that's existed. True, yeah. Right. Uh, and it was very short ultimately, you know, uh, they met, obviously they meet in 38, so it's not super short, but between 38 and 48, they spend the bulk of that time just dancing and, and having a relationship. And then they finally get married and that's when things really, really fall right. apart. Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think both, both pieces are interesting and they're very much more so. I think the Paul Robeson is the best comparison we have because it's very, it's very interesting to see these pieces as the reflection of her life, of everything going on. Right? Yeah, it's it's her, it's her work that she has complete creative control over. Right. And it's you know in the same way that Robeson uh, fought to have more creative control as as he realized he was being used. You know, Martha Graham is is a woman in the mid 20th century who had that control and then briefly let a younger man have the entitlement to think he was as good as her right and come in and it led to her ruin you know it also led to some really great work but it ultimately led to her ruin and to imagine what she could have been and what could have changed like look at lamentation and look at what right, she was yeah, doing in the thirties yeah. and imagine and then, yeah, what... if you were to compare that, yeah, right. to what you get during yeah. this period. Well, it's just interesting that that's, this is the era of video we get with, you know, which is kind of in itself kind of unfortunate, right? That right. like we get the portion that is in this sort of weird state rather than her, what, what one might call a more pure state of, what right. her art was, right? Which is another interesting thing that if she wants to be remembered as a dancer, but she does not provide uh she's reticent to to have actual Yeah, I know it's it's a very weird of her thing, dancing. Right? Because like, <laughs> like if you, run, would actually you want to be remembered, remembered as a choreographer. As a, a choreographer can live with forever because you teach people how to do your dances and then that's how those dances are done moving forward, right? right? And that's what we see in Appalachian Spring. And, and in her work. Uh, but if you want to be remembered as a dancer, you've got to have a recording of you dancing, right? right. You can't just leave it to people saying, oh, she was a great dancer. Um, you know, 
right. that doesn't introduce you well to uh, to a new generation. You don't live forever being just a dancer unless you get a recording of your dancing on. So, you know, and on the one hand, she ultimately doesn't get recordings of her dancing on a wide scale. There are other videos that exist. Like we said, we've, we've seen Lamentations, uh, and it's not just a later performance. It is probably a later performance, but Lamentations originally from 1930. Certainly, certainly the video of her performing Lamentations we've seen was not from 1930, right? No, <laughs> like, no, yeah. I mean, but, it, if nothing else, it has fucking color in it. But, yeah. like, you know, I think it is probably, given the nature of that dance, I, my guess is she probably kept it. It's probably a little bit fluid, but it. She seems to be trying to show for whatever reason she's recording it. She seems to be trying to show what it is as right. a dance, like fundamentally. Right. right. Yeah. So, I don't know. She's just she's a fascinating individual. Period. Right. And right. A superbly talented individual who managed to have control of her own life in a time where women didn't yeah um, it, it's so. real it is really fascinating i don't know like, i don't her life is kind of a little inexplicable honestly right yeah and she she is obviously immensely talented uh you know she's yeah i certainly didn't know her by name before now Right. No, but now now you will remember. It's right. a, it's a fascinating thing, right? Like I'm not going to forget like if somebody asked me like I now have in my repertoire a single very very famous dancer. Right. Right. <laughs> it doesn't sound like much, but is a thing. Who isn't one of the guys in Singing in the Rain? So <laughs> Right. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean there's always Singing in the Rain. There's always that, but like this is a sort of different sort of thing, right? Yeah. I just I really I really did love this. You know, I found Night Journey a bit hard to get into, like I said, but I really, I loved seeing this. I loved, yeah, it's weird that Criterion gives us things like this. I'm very happy for Criterion to give us things like this. The curveballs are yeah. always entertaining, you know. None will be greater than Spine 100, uh, the Beastie Boys video right. anthology. No, but the, the best curveball. Let's be very yeah, clear here yeah. about what that was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when it shows us something that it really has no <laughs> no basis for showing, yeah, under no, any no real business, comprehensive, this, but yeah, <laughs> there's there is no longer any elevator pitch for Criterion Collection that can contain no, absolutely not, yeah, contain uh, Seventh Seal, the <laughs> Beastie Boys video anthology, <laughs> yeah, Fishing with John, and this, and this right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but the it, yeah, I mean, other than like. We're gonna blow your fucking minds, dude. As I <laughs> right. guess a as a sales pitch. in as many ways as we can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's try or, this one. <laughs> I think the sales pitch. I'm sticking with the sales pitch. Being Martin Scorsese discovering what we've done <laughs> a thousand years in the future or whatever somehow, <laughs> and being like, we gotta fuck with these guys. Do you think Martin Scorsese is originally from a thousand years in the future? No, actually, I think he accidentally traveled to the future. Discover like. Hmm. I'm positing a sort of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure sort of time system where it's all cyclical, and we he has to do it because he's already done it. I see. I see. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, well, this week we have been talking about uh, Martha Graham, Dance on Film, uh, which is a uh, a set of three short films and a whole bunch of supplemental material, performances of Martha Graham, 
documentaries about Martha Graham, uh, who's just a fantastic dancer. And I'm so glad to yeah. have had this opportunity to learn about her. Uh, <laughs> which, which is an interesting way of putting it, considering Criterion has essentially just released, and in fact has explicitly just released three PBS documentaries. Um, four, in fact. Yeah. So. Well, like, but you know, I kind of, it, it sounds weird, but I kind of love them for it because yeah, like, absolutely. when else are you going to get it? Like to somebody sit down and say like, it, it is a wild thing for somebody to sit down and say, you know what? I got to make sure like lots of people can see these fucking PBS documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's absolutely It's great. weird, but like, I admire the choice because how the fuck else would I see a few, uh, you know what I mean? Like. What other circumstances would allow me to just come across a collection of topically related PBS documentaries? Right. Like, that's impossible. Right. What you're describing is a thing that would never happen in my real life and has <laughs> happened to me. Yeah. Uh, well, next week, uh, we switch gears once again um, to... Uh, what was this originally rated? I don't even know. It maybe I never was originally rated. rated. Uh, we're watching a Gus Van Zant film. Um, you know, we've already watched My Private Idaho. Next week is Malanoche uh, from 1986, and is uh, I don't even know. It'll be something. Uh, obviously, My Own Private Idaho was was something that we you know enjoyed. Uh, so Malanoche will be something else but Gus Van Zandt is always uh, an interesting character so we'll see uh, see how this goes but yeah yes we will I, I you know yeah there's no theme to the Criterion Collection at all but absolutely no theme ever to the Criterion never Collection never any connective tissue but I yeah. kind of love it for it honestly yeah oh so thank you so much for joining us uh, with Lost in Criterion I am as always the Adam Class with me as always John Batcher or Tori Dorgan and we'll see you next time Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it. <laughs>